Hey, I'm Jesse. Let's have a devotion. It's victory day for the Israelites. At last, having followed God's prescribed process, no matter how seemingly nonsensical, particularly to those who were within the crosshairs of the wrath of God, at last we're going to see the result. Here is Joshua chapter 6, beginning in verse 20. So the troops shouted and the ram's horns sounded. When they heard the blast of the ram's horn, the troops gave a great shout and the wall collapsed. So here is the long-awaited shout, which Joshua was specific, beginning in verse 10, not to let out until the right time. And here at last, the wall collapsed. There it is. That's the miracle of this text. So the Israelites had obeyed God's every prescribed step, and now God follows through. That was seven days of faith, doing what made no sense to everybody else, but what God said to do. Can you relate, Christian? Don't give up on day five or six, because at last, here's the miracle. Now, you've not been promised a miracle like this, but you do serve the same God, and He does win in the end. So even if God doesn't, in your particular case, bring about some massive Jericho-scale miracle, He is going to deliver you in the ultimate end. So any, any Christian can relate to this Old Testament text. The troops advanced into the city, each man straight ahead. Okay, now here's, here's what's cool about this. This was in what God said to Joshua. This is... This is like a four-word fulfillment of prophecy. It seems like a benign prophecy until you consider the fact that going straight ahead into Jericho meant going straight into a wall. <laughs> so for God to tell his people, see that city that has a wall going all the way around it? You're going to go straight into it. First, you're going to go around it a lot, and then you're going to go straight into it. And so this is the fulfillment of a miracle. It made no sense, but God paved a way for them and they captured the city. All right, now, verse 21, we'll test your constitution as an adherent to every single word that God said. This is just as inspired as John 3:16. They completely destroyed everything in the city with the sword, every man and woman, both young and old, and every ox, sheep, and donkey. Now, in a brief note of context, Joshua 6:2 it does seem to indicate that uh, the city of Jericho was heavily occupied by military personnel. All right? The king is there and all the best soldiers are there. And they had, uh, and from God's timeless perspective in the past tense, they'd already been handed over to Israel. This victory was already sealed because God knew that it would happen. And so God, as a timeless, eternal, divine being, can speak in the past tense about something that from our perspective as temporal beings has yet to happen. There's something about this that may not sit well with you if you're not acquainted with God pouring out wrath on evil, or you're not comfortable with God pouring wrath out on evil. This is something about God that you must understand, and you must read with humility and self-awareness, because you and I, by our nature, were just born with a proclivity unto evil. So it is not unjust for God to do what he said he would do. Every single time God pours his wrath out, he always accompanies it with 
deliverance. In the flood, it was the ark. At Sodom and Gomorrah, it was Lot's family. In Revelation 11, in the, the great woe, the earthquake, it's the testimony of the two witnesses. And now here in Jericho, it's Rahab and her family. Rahab forsook the, the, the false gods and began to worship in adherence with the law of Moses and the old covenant, the one true God. And as a result, she and her whole family are all now saved. So even when God pours out his wrath, there's always deliverance. There's always mercy. There's always grace. There's always a way to be saved. Most people don't take it though. God had warned the city of Jericho, the whole land of Canaan. We see this all the way back in Leviticus 18 for their licentious sexual sins, their murderous practices, and their barbaric, to you know, use an anachronistic term, worship slaughters, basically. Uh, they'd been told over and over again for 400 years to repent, 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 repent. And the only one that we see actually repenting and, and, and worshiping the one true God here is Rahab. So you've got a city full of hard-hearted people who for generations have been told, uh, you know, uh, th this is, there, there's a God of the slaves of Egypt, the one true God, they're coming here. <laughs> you are first on their list. Look at the victories they've had so far. And all the while, they've watched God bring Israel across the Red Sea. Rahab mentioned that they had known about that. That was 40 years prior to this. Okay, so if even, even forget the 400 years for 40 years. That's every living person in Jericho knew about God's miraculous deliverance of Israel through the Red Sea. They knew about how God had given them victory over Sihon and Og. They knew that these people were divinely protected and empowered by God, and they were coming for them. They were right outside. And for seven days, they watched these people doing something that made no sense to them. Those people passing by your window every single day, blowing ram's horns, those are the people that got miraculously brought across the Red Sea. Those are the people who were delivered from Egypt. Those are the people who conquered Sihon. Those are the people who conquered Og. And over and over and over again for 40 years, and particularly the last seven days, they would look at it and say, nope, I'm not worshiping their God. No, 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 I'm not worshiping their God. And now after the seventh day, this is what happens. God had said that the articles within Jericho were set apart. The people of Israel will not start, uh, partake of them because it would corrupt them. It would corrupt the whole camp of Israel. They were set apart for destruction, the text says in Joshua chapter 6. We've, we see language like that in the New Testament as well. In Romans chapter 9, in speaking about Israel and Edom, meaning God's sovereignly elected people, and then the descendants of Esau, whom... God hated, right? God loves Israel. God hates the nation of Edom. This is his prerogative. Here's Romans 9, 18. So then he has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and he hardens whom he wants to harden. This is God's prerogative. Who are we to talk back to God and say, no, God, you're doing it wrong. You're not as compassionate as I am. Consider the profound arrogance it takes to condescend to God. You will say to me, therefore, why then does he still find fault? For who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Well, what does form say to the one who formed it? Why did you make me like this? 
Or has the potter no right over the clay to make from the same lump one piece of pottery for honor and another for dishonor? And what if God, wanting to display his wrath and make his power known, endured with much patience objects of wrath prepared for destruction? And what if he did this to make known the riches of his glory on objects of mercy that he prepared beforehand for glory on us, the ones he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles? So these objects of mercy, these are the people of God. And this is this right here, verse 24, is, is uh, kind of the, the Summa Theologica of Romans, that God would have mercy not only on Jews, but also from the Gentiles. That right there, that's the crux of the entire book. And that this is what leads to Romans 10, 9, the one verse in the whole Bible that describes how someone is saved. So this is all, this is all in route to the, the very gospel verse that I share in every single one of my sermons. And I have for like my entire ministry career so far, not that it's all that long. How long have I been pastoring? Like 16 years. So this is God's prerogative. Okay. He had mercy on Israel and the people of Jericho are hard hearted. Now, in the particular context of Romans 9, this is, this is about how God hardened Pharaoh's heart upon the Exodus, wherein we see Exodus, uh, we, we, we see, we see Pharaoh's heart hardened of his own volition in the majority of the plagues, but we do see God as his prerogative, overriding the free will of Pharaoh to demonstrate the impotence of the Egyptian pantheon plague by plague, and then to bring about Israel, to bring about actually salvation for all who call upon the name of the Lord. And this is a reminder, this is a humbling reminder that you and I cannot look at the content of Joshua chapter 6 and have any ground to stand on to talk back to God and say, God, you should not have done this to Jericho. So this is the ultimate victory. It comes at a cost for those who are opposed to God. It's an outpouring of mercy for the people whom God chose, the people of Israel in the Old Testament. And now, today, because of Jesus, Gentiles like me, and perhaps you, can call upon the name of Jesus and be saved. This is what God does in a microcosm, Jericho, for all of creation. Like Jericho, we collectively have forsaken God. Like Jericho, we are fully deserving of the wrath of God. There's not one of us who has earned salvation. But like a particular resident of Jericho, Rahab, we can call upon the Lord and be saved. You don't have to endure the coming wrath of God when God pours out wrath. And he will again, on a global scale, it's prophesied in the book of Revelation. You don't have to suffer it. If the Holy Spirit of God is calling upon you, showing you that mercy, then like Rahab, you can be saved. So if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, would you pray with me right now? God, I ask for your mercy. I know that like an inhabitant of Jericho, I am fully deserving of your wrath for my sin. I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of that sin is death, but I believe right now that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. I confess with my mouth by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. God, let me be saved, saved, saved. In Jesus' name, amen. I pray that you are a Rahab among the inhabitants of Jericho. And if you are a Christian, I pray that you would not look to this text and presume to correct God 
Because who are we to talk back to him? We are Jericho in this sense. May we be saved like Rahab. <laughs>